You're listening to the Silicon Valley Podcast. We are going to pick up right where we left off last week on part one of this two-part interview with Tehi Nam and Bob Tinker. On today's show, we talk about what value should entrepreneurs look for when deciding what VC to work with? What would be considered a normal fund structure and has this changed over the years? What is the difference between the VC and CEO perspective of a business and much, much more? Stay tuned for this amazing episode. and Don't forget to write a review on iTunes, take a picture and share with us on social media or email me at sean at the siliconvalleypodcast.com for your chance to win a signed autographed copy of Tehi Nant and Bob Tinker's newest book. All right, now let's start the show. Enjoy. Welcome to the Silicon Valley Podcast with your host, Sean Flynn, who interviews famous entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and leaders in tech. Learn their secrets and see tomorrow's world today. And then your portfolio. I mean, I've heard that an investor's portfolio, there could be synergy among the investments. Is, is this true? It's uh, ab- absolutely true in a, in a critical part of our uh, investment strategy. You know, I love playing games and the, the metaphor I use is that there's this Asian game, Joel Stones, but together you can build like a house. And in the same way, I look at uh, every one of our investments is like placing a stone and you can build synergy amongst the portfolio. And so for us, it's been great by just focusing on B2B software companies. We have a set of companies in the security space. They work together in sort of sharing customer leads, you know, go-to-market strategies, people. We have a group of companies in the HR space, in the MarTech space, and so forth. So we found that to be uh, quite helpful in terms of helping each other become successful. I've also heard that right now is an amazing time for Korean startups. Do you have any points of view on this? Right. We're excited about investing in Korean B2B startups right now. And uh, it's, I I feel like the timing is right for two things. The cloud's a new compute platform here in Silicon Valley. You know, we've been on the cloud for quite a while, but in Korea it's relatively new and startups in particular are rapidly adopting the cloud. And so they're on the the modern tech stack. And the second is, is that, uh, you know, Korean culture has become very popular in the United States. So you look at K-pop, you look at Parasite, you know, so Korean culture is becoming popular. And what that means is that the whole UI experience is something that is becoming acceptable to, you know, Americans, not just Koreans. And Bob, I want to bring you back in this conversation. Can you tell me how was that dynamic shift when you went from being an investment of Storm Ventures to coming on board, being part of the team? Actually, Bob is not a... I'm not technically an employee of Storm Ventures. I'm actually a LP in Storm Ventures now. Okay. Then how about the dynamic switch from being a maybe reporting to Tehi to then having... Myself report to Bob. Yeah. There's a lot of funny stories there. So yeah. So, you know, I basically, Tehi was, uh, you know, my lead director at Bubble Iron for a long time. So I did work for Tehi and it was great. I think, you know, now that we do other projects together, you know, working on the two books together, what probably the funniest part about it is talking about past situations and things that we worked on together where even though we were both there and both part of it, his investor point of view and my entrepreneur point of view were not the same. And the analogy I'll make here is if you sort of picture like somebody in a helicopter, 
hovering above a wave with a bunch of surfers. Like Tehi's the dude in the helicopter hovering above the wave with a bunch of people on surfboards. And, you know, as the former entrepreneur, I was like one of the people on the surfboard just like trying not to die. So I think you know, the uh, even though we worked really close together for 18 years now, I think the thing that was sort of the biggest surprise to me is now that we have a chance to sort of reflect on our journey together, how we would still have different points of view about situations where we both experience the exact same thing. And I think that was part of the reconciliation that ended up in our two books that I think is particularly useful for entrepreneurs and investors is the ability to have the same situation and to understand sort of the points of view of both the investors and entrepreneurs. I think that's, for me, been a really interesting learning now that Tehi and I have been able to look at things through the rearview mirror. The whole reconciliation process took much longer than I thought. You know, when Bob and I started working on the, the book, I thought, frankly, it would be like a six-month, 12-month project, but it took uh, over four years. And in the beginning, we actually had dueling chapters. You know, he, Bob would write one chapter and I would write another uh, about the same topic, but different perspectives. And uh, this reconciliation process uh, really just took time. It was about 120 drafts, actually, per yeah. book. And then if you wind in the fact that we included stories from, I think, 20, 22 other entrepreneurs, like this became a you know, a big reconciliation project between Tehi and myself, but also then melding in stories from other entrepreneurs and other investors. So uh, it became a much bigger project than I think we both thought. But I think the result is something that is new and different and uh, really helpful for both entrepreneurs and investors. So going back to this imagery of the helicopter versus the surfer, you know, so, you know, you don't worry you get about lots of different patterns. Yes. So you get to see the wave and where things are going. And so you talk more about the wave and the direction as the, the surfer. That's sort of like the future. You know, you just don't want to wipe out and you're worried about what's going to happen immediately. So that two different perspectives, even though you're in the same place. The other thing is like that as a surfer, like one of the entrepreneurs, like you only have one surfboard. You don't have a portfolio. Right. And person in the helicopter, they've got a portfolio of five or six surfers on the board, right? So, you know, it's a different view. It's, it is a different experience. That's why it took several years. So let's go back to the initial founding of the company, because a, a question that's come up with some of our listeners that, that, that write in questions for us to, to ask our, the people we interview is the early decision of founders, you know, when they have to divide the equity up in a company, uh, can you give some insight? surprisingly makes a, a huge diff impact on the company. You know, I, I went through one experience uh, fairly recently where we had two co-founders and uh, it was a fairly large differential between the two. Every six months, it just became a topic. So it was like clockwork. You know, after every round of financing, it became a topic. And uh, By topic, uh, you mean issue. An issue that we would have to discuss. You know, we would adjust it a little bit each time, but, you know, it, it's something that came up. And so finally, we just said, look, we just have to just like resolve it once and for all. And we, we did. But uh, it's setting the, the right arrangement between the, the two co-founders is, is really important because it forms the, the basis. It, it is the foundational relationship for the whole company is how the co-founders work together. There's actually, you know, sometimes you have single founders, sometimes you have multiple founders. You know, there's kind of a spectrum from a scenario where everybody just says, hey, let's be even Steven. 
everybody get the same to, hey, there's clearly one founder that's sort of the big cheese and everybody else is sort of joining in. And that is a varied version of all the rest of those. Figuring out where you are on that spectrum, I think, for early founders requires a level of intellectual honesty and candor about the value that each one of the founders brings. And it's always easy to just sort of say, hey, let's be even Steven. Or maybe there's one that's big and one that's small, but it's happened later if you fast forward 6, 12, 18 months, where that initial equity allocation didn't really reflect the value that's being delivered by each one of those founders. And the more honest the founders can be with each other upfront about their relative value for the company. And that's an unpleasant, awkward, kind of intellectually honest, grown-up conversation that sometimes founders don't have until much later in the process. And that's usually when you get founder drama. By having those discussions upfront, setting expectations upfront, talking about relative value and relative value brought to the company, you can avoid the drama later. Because the situation Tehi was talking about is an example of sort of a nagging founder drama, right? It's a nagging disagreement between one or two or multiple founders. And if you look at the one thing that can screw up a really good company, it's founder drama. Nothing can screw up a great startup like founder drama. And and we've seen the flip side too. Companies that went through some very hard times, had to pivot, a lot of issues, but when the core founders stuck together, power through it, we've had great outcomes. Have you ever had it where a company looks great? I mean, it looked amazing. You're excited about it. But then when you did some due diligence, you found out that it just couldn't be saved? Yes. It goes back to creating problems amongst the founders. So if the initially the relative uh, ratios are out, then you're just sort of creating this germ of founder drama that's going to get worse. And so we've uh, avoided situations like that in the past. The, the other thing is, is that when we look at companies, it's like being part of a long journey. And we as investors are joined the bus and we're usually on the back seat of the bus and the CEO is the driver of the bus. And the thing you rely on is the CEO to make good decisions. So if they've made poor business decisions in the past, then that's probably an indicator that they will make poor ones in the future. And then Storm Ventures, can we talk a little bit about fund structure in the Valley or in general? Has that changed over the 20 years here? It's fund structure worldwide has changed dramatically. And uh, it's probably best illustrated by the SoftBank Vision Fund, billion dollar fund, and then have it fully invested in a few years and you go off and raise another fund. So what we're seeing is, is that uh, growth is becoming highly valued. So if you can have high growth and be the worldwide leader in this winner-take-all world, then people want to invest in that company. So maximum growth is what you're focused on? Is that, is that correct? Yeah, there are two ways that people traditionally have looked at investing. One is as a growth investor and the other is a value investor. Where we invest, and this is typical for Silicon Valley and firms that are investing in Silicon Valley-like firms, is that we're growth investors. And so we're looking for this sort of hyper-growth company, and that's why unlocking growth is so important. And so 
Growth is what generates uh, the unicorns and so forth. The other way is that uh, you can be a company that's cash flow break even. So you don't have to raise money. You know, you don't have to suffer dilution. And then that can become a, also a very successful investment, but that's typically more based on value than high growth. Obviously, there are some companies that can do both, but that tends to be rare. In your history as a CEO, what did you look for from a VC fund or, or organization? Really important question. And I think it, it varies a little bit depending on what stage of growth the company is at. If you look at the first scenario at the very, very beginning, when you're founding the company and bringing in your first investor capital, that is a really big, very personal decision for a CEO and, and founding team to bring in their first investor. It is like hiring another co-founder, right? I mean, this is the first person that's going to be the person that's going to be with you the longest. It's the one taking the most risk. And so finding that very first investor that shares your passion for the vision, understands the business, is willing to ride the ups and downs, and frankly, you feel like you can work with, it's a marriage. Now, let's move on to the next stage. As the company starts to hit milestones and thinks about bringing in the second or third round of capital, the decision criteria for me changed. It's less about hiring the next co-founder. It was more about finding investors that could bring value to the company beyond their capital and play a position on my board. And you know, whether that's help, help on hiring talent, help accessing customers, help on advice, you know, there is an first-time CEO, who did I want to work with? So finding those board members that can bring value. And I mentioned this earlier, but it's worth repeating that I think for me, the thing I accidentally tripped into that turned out to work out really well that I would recommend to other CEOs as they think about who to bring onto their boards. When you're a CEO running a company, everybody plays a position on your executive team. You have somebody that leads sales, somebody that leads marketing, somebody that leads product, somebody that leads customers. And that's how the company runs. And if you think about building a board over time, one of the things that I learned that ended up working out really well for us was bringing board members on that then each play a position. Bringing on a bunch of board members who are all product experts, everybody wants to sit around, doesn't actually really help me in the company as much. But bringing on a board member who brings a great strategic view of our market, bringing on a board member who has go-to-market expertise, bringing on a board member who has building engineering expertise. And what was great about that then is our board meetings became super productive because each of the board members would then defer to the other one about, oh, Frank is the expert on engineering teams. Frank, what do you think? Oh, you know, Matt is the expert on early technical sales. What do you think about hiring sales engineers? You could actually, everybody could play a position and defer to each other. So you get the experience around the table rather than having a bunch of board members who all look the same. So my number one piece of advice for thinking about hiring, bringing on board members is think about them like you think about building your management team where everybody plays a position. Right. You know, this whole decision-making process of, you know, finding a matching process between entrepreneur and VC is, is very important. From my perspective as an investor, when I look at each investment, I look at it as like, uh, do I want to be part of a long journey? You know, it, it's not a quick in and out, but making sure you have a, a shared vision, shared value, and uh, fundamentally trust in uh, the, the founders in the endeavor. 
Because as an investor, at the end of the day, you know, we're going back to the bus metaphor, you know, we're not the ones driving the bus, but we'll be in the back of the bus. I've got something to add there, which has been sort of an interesting experience for me. Now that I'm no longer an operating CEO, I've been doing some seed investing in early stage companies. So now sort of on the other side of the table in a way. It's been interesting for me to sort of decide as a former CEO, how do I decide which companies I would want to invest in as a seed investor? And, you know, I think it's given me a lot of empathy for sort of the choices that venture investors have to make as well. And it turns out one of the things that I've added to my list as a seed investor that's very important to me is that the CEO is coachable. Because I think companies go through ups and downs and things work and things don't work. And I think one of the things that would be incredibly frustrating to me, and I think is would be incredibly frustrating to other venture investors is like if a CEO is kind of hardwired, like they always think they know the right answer and there's only one way to solve this problem and it's damn the torpedoes and not willing to take coaching or feedback. Like for me, that just gets frustrating. That's just not fun. And frankly, it's not worth your time. So for me, that's become my most important criteria beyond do I just like the business is CEO coachable. Tahi, can you add to what Bob just said right there with what he looks for in a CEO. Right. For me, coachable is, is important, but it's uh, less important. The first thing that I look for is the CEO really passionate about the vision, trying to understand sort of uh, the vision and the passion, both of those two together, because uh, in a way, that's the engine that's going to cause the the founder, the CEO, and uh, the company to go through the ups and downs. Because there's going to be bad times. And without that passion, people give up. And if the CEO gives up, then the whole company is dead. So the first thing is sort of the, the passion for the vision is something that is, it has to be there and uh, look for. Versus someone who's, let's say, a professional manager or someone who says, you know, I, I want to be make the right business decisions and all that kind of stuff. So first thing is sort of passion for the mission. The second is maybe what Bob mentioned as coachable for me is we talk about is more about self-awareness. Yeah, that's a better way to put it, actually. Passion and self-awareness. Yeah. yeah. And, and what I mean by that is they're self-aware to understand how they need to change how the company is changing and all that so they can unlearn it whether they unlearn through me or others it's that's not as important as the fact that they unlearn and sort of move to the next stage in some manner and everyone does that importantly so it's passion for the mission is number one and the second is this self-awareness so they can succeed at the next stage of the company and, and then the third is, uh, is sort of the fundamentals, but it's about, you know, integrity and, and values because that's going to be the foundation for the culture of the company, for the people that you bring on board. And so this gets back to how you treat other co-founders, how you treat others and so forth. It is having that integrity to form the, the right culture of the company. Because I found that uh, culture is surprisingly critical to a company's success. Yeah, that is a uh, spectacular point that you know, if you look at culture, in many ways, the culture is the company, right? It starts as a product and you hire a team, but the culture becomes the soul 
of the company that helps the team deal with ups and downs, and it holds the company together and the team together as it grows, evolves, and changes. You know, that culture comes from somewhere. An interesting sort of backstory is the very beginning of Mobile Iron, the second meeting we had as a team, was what type of culture do we want? And it was a really powerful conversation because, you know, in many ways, giving birth to a company is sort of the giving birth to a child. And how do you want to raise this child? What's important to you? Like those same types of conversations you have with your wife or husband about what's important about raising children, like you need to be having those same types of conversation at the very beginning of starting a company because those are the foundations of building a culture. And those early and sort of emanate from the CEO. So, you know, a culture that says one thing on the wall, but everybody behaves differently, isn't a culture, it's a gym poster. Actually, it's worse than a gym poster because uh, people sense the hypocrisy. Yes. And then it becomes, it introduces cynicism. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Yes. It's actually net even worse. You know, where does culture come from? You know, it comes from those early founders and CEOs, how they behave, how they act, how they make decisions. And culture can evolve organically and just sort of become what it is. But the reality is by the time a company gets to 15 or 20 people, it has a culture. So the other model is be proactive and prospective about what you want the culture to be and sit down and talk about it as a founding team and think about it and take it seriously because once you get to 10 or 15 people, you already have one. If you think about the long run, what actually enables a company and a leadership team to deal with the ups and downs and the growth, it's do you have that cultural foundation? Do you have a solid soul to the company? And I think uh, it sounds like a mushy topic you know, compared to product and sales efficiency and all those other things. But it turns out that it's one of those intangibles that is the difference often between okay companies and great companies. And, you know, one early decision of Mobile Iron, which had a tremendous profound impact on the culture of the company was the simple question of what is Bob's initial compensation as CEO? Yeah, it's true. Little things about like self-interest versus team or... How do we make decisions or are we allowed to talk about what's going wrong? All those things. It's about the mission. It's about the team. It's about what we're trying to build together. It's not about any one of us. And when you get that right, magic happens because then people want to be on board and people believe in the cause. And uh, it's a blast when you get that right. Now, we talked about so much on today's episode. I'm going to be re-listening to this myself many, many times. How much of the information that we talked about today is is covered even in, in little bits in your book. Can you talk about your book and, and kind of the content? Thank you for asking. We have actually have two books, believe it or not. That's why this has been such a big journey. That one's really about the company journey, which is helping entrepreneurs understand where they are right now in building their company and anticipate what's next. And probably the most talked about part of that book has really been about go-to-market fit which is that missing link between product market fit and unlocking growth that so many B2B software companies get stuck in. So that book's been out for about two years. If you do a search on enterprise startup book, it shows up one, two, and three in Google. So uh, it's been getting pretty good reviews. The uh, second book just came out this summer and it's about the people. It's called Change or Be Changed. It comes from actually a frustration, like many things, sort of inspiration comes from frustration. And I think one of the things that I was frustrated about as a first-time CEO trying to build a company is that I don't think we do a very good job in Silicon Valley helping entrepreneurs as their company changes, therefore they have to change themselves. I think this kind of gets lost. It doesn't get passed down. And so book two is about that. 
And the theme is unlearning. And it's a lot of personal stories from me, from Tehi, co-founders and executives about their journeys of success, failure, learning, and unlearning. And it's not just for CEOs. There's a chapter for CEOs. There's a chapter for leaders. There's a chapter for the team. There's a chapter for the board and chapter on building culture. Because really, at the end of the day, it's about the people that make the difference between a successful startup and an unsuccessful startup and a successful business and an unsuccessful business. And I think uh, book two is much more personal, I think, for both of us. So we actually got an autographed copy of book two that we'll be raffling off to anyone that leaves a, a review on iTunes or other podcast platforms for this episode. So please like and share. That encourages us to make more episodes. Tehi, Bob, if anyone wants to find out more information about yourselves, what's the best way to go about doing it? And do you have a last share with our entrepreneur and our investor community out there? So the best way to reach me is over LinkedIn. It's just connect with me over LinkedIn and then uh, send me a message. And the one message I want to share with everyone is startups are emerging and becoming successful anywhere around the world. But uh, each startup, especially the founders, uh, feel this as a very lonely process and that people feel like they're going through these problems for their first time or am I struggling here? And what we hope is through this podcast and through the books is so people understand that this is just a, a standard process of building your careers and building successful leaders. For me, this is Bob. That best way to connect with me is over LinkedIn as well, uh, or also Twitter at Bob Tinker. It's funny, Tehees was about, you're not alone. That also is my takeaway point, that when you're building a startup, there are some bad days and dark times, and it feels really lonely. And sometimes you feel like you're going through things that nobody else is going through. Our entrepreneurs have gone through the same thing. And so we are all in this together, and you are definitely not alone. Bob Tehi, once again, I want to thank you guys for your time and all the information, the contact information will be in the show notes. And we look forward to producing more great content for everyone out there. All right. So once again, Bob Tehi, thank you guys for your time today. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Silicon Valley podcast. To access our resources, visit us at the siliconvalleypodcast.com and follow our host on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Sean Flynn SV. This show is for entertainment purposes only and is licensed by the Investors Podcast Network. Before making any decisions, consult a professional.